0: The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to UUSF.org. In terms of timing, I'm usually pretty chill about when I get my haircuts. But just a couple weeks ago, I looked at the calendar and I rushed to call my haircut place to book an appointment. The place I go to is usually not that busy, but no surprise, they were booked up full that week and I had no choice but to drop everything I was doing, clear my calendar so I could wait my turn in the crowd and make sure to get my hair cut. The reason this was such an urgent matter was because it was coming up to be the Chinese New Year for me. And in my family and in many other families, one of the things we don't do is cut our hair during the first few days of the new year. So if you're going to get your hair cut, you're going to have to get it done before the new year begins. And the reason we don't get our hair cut in the first days of the new year is that the word for hair, pronounced in Cantonese as "fat," sounds like the word for issuing forth or prospering as in gong hei fà chòi. Therefore, according to the tradition, we don't cut our hair at the start of the new year because doing so would symbolize cutting off our fortune for the year. So growing up, these sorts of traditions, these super intentional pieces of symbolic behavior were really what defined Chinese New Year for me. On Chinese New Year's Eve, the symbolism kicked into full gear with the family reunion dinner, where we'd all sit down together to symbolize the togetherness of the family. My mom would create an amazing feast, the most important dinner of the year. There would be fish, yu, which symbolized having more than you need, yu. Our soup would have a special black moss called fat choy because it sounded like striking it rich, fat choy. We'd have nothing sour, nothing bitter, and everyone would make sure to refill their rice bowls at least once to symbolize abundance. And perhaps most importantly, once we sat down, we couldn't get up until we were all done. As a family, we did things together. Then the next morning, New Year's Day, we would wear red to symbolize happiness and celebration. We'd eat rice cakes, like that one, called Nin Go, whose name sounds like the year rising up, Nien Go, My mom would lay out a beautiful spread of fruit, including tangerines, gut, which sounded like luck, gut, and mandarin oranges, gum, which sounded like gold, gum. We'd eat candy lotus seeds and other sweets to represent abundance and sweetness in the new year. And that was just the food, and some of the food at that. There were also decorations, gifts like the red envelopes and a whole slew of greetings that all featured this magical well-wishing. So this one time every year, our lives would enter into this ultra-symbolic space where every object you touched and every word you said would reveal a delightful double meaning. I often think about these customs and wonder, just what exactly are we doing when we're doing these activities and saying these things. Because the flip side of this well-wishing is, what happens when things go wrong? What happens when you drop something? Or flip the fish? Or speak of inauspicious events? Or accidentally get up from the table before everyone is done? Would bad things happen then? Would the year be ruined? I remember moments growing up when my uncle would carelessly talk about some misfortune on the news, and then my aunties would quickly chime in with a blessing for luck and profit to reverse the negativity. Or if one of the kids cried or whined at the family reunion dinner, my mom would have strategies in place to nip that in the bud. Some might, and do, call this being superstitious. Is that what it is? This question, actually, was raised early in Chinese intellectual history, and there are lots of different opinions about how the world worked. Chinese Confucian thinkers, in particular, were divided into different camps. There were some, like the 3rd century BCE scholar Zhou Yan, and later Dong Zhongshu, who actually believed that human actions really could induce the universe to behave differently, especially through symbolic, ritual, or moral actions. They articulated a system of what scholars call correlative cosmology, which assumes that things with similar or correlating properties can influence each other. So by manipulating one, like the tangerine, it's possible to manipulate the other, like your luck in the world. And you can see this principle at play in Chinese geomancy, or feng shui, and numerology uh, with good luck or bad luck uh, numbers or other things. So on this understanding of the world, yes, in the new year, we do actually invite good fortune through what we say by invoking words and symbols that correlate with auspicious things in the new year. But others consider this absolutely ludicrous. The first-century thinker Wang Chong formulated it this way. He said, Humans live on the Earth's surface like fleas in the fold of humans' clothing. So if these fleas wanted to influence what humans thought and they screamed into our ears, we wouldn't even be able to hear them. So likewise, it's absurd to imagine that heaven and Earth could understand the words or wishes that we humans make. So... Shaped as I am by kind of a modern, naturalistic, scientific worldview, Wang Chong's point definitely resonates. But then, when we say to each other these blessings, and we eat these foods, and we play with all these double meanings, what then are we doing? Xunzi was another Confucian philosopher, who, like Wang Chong, railed against what he saw as the superstitions of his time. But he also thought that the practices and actions involving the ghosts and spirits were still important, not because they served the supernatural, but because the practices themselves served the people doing them. So in this Shunzian view, when we say something like, congratulations on sudden riches. It's not that we're trying to induce the universe to make the statement true. Rather, we're taking on what the anthropologist Michael Pewitt calls an as-if stance, acting as if it were so. So when we say congratulations, we're saying let's act as if we had a good year. Let's begin this new year with a tone, a positivity, an assumption, and so we bring ourselves into a different place and a different mindset so that we can let go of the burdens of the past, and even not knowing anything of what the future holds in store, still act as if it was going to be good. It reminds me of a famous psychology experiment in 1988 where researchers made some participants hold a pen in their mouths so that their teeth were showing, mimicking essentially a smile without telling the participants to smile. And the participants who were made to smile in this way actually rated cartoons they read as funnier than those participants who didn't. So the study suggested that the act of shaping your mouth as if you were smiling actually made you happier. In other words, the celebratory act was not a result of your being happy, your happiness induced, in a way, the celebration. Or no, sorry, your happiness was induced, in a way, by your celebration. So, on this Shunzian as if view of these New Year's customs, congratulations! is a preemptive celebration that lets us act as if it were true. And so, this carries us into a year where we might make that possible. I have to admit, the Sunzian way of looking at things really makes sense to me. If I'm going to participate in these customs at all, I might as well see it as a sort of practice in positive thinking. Ah, positive thinking. Therein lies the rub. You might have picked up by now too, but there are definitely resonances with the whole power of positive thinking self-help movement emanating from the 50s with Norman Vincent, pa- Van, uh, Norman Vincent Peale and really saturating our entire culture today. Practicing positive affirmations and visualizations that will change your attitude and make you happier. Doesn't that all sound familiar? I think we know by now that as well-intentioned as it is, the power of positive thinking concept has also caused a lot of harm. It certainly helped create a culture that has silenced or minimized experiences of trauma and oppression, and it's made people feel erased and inadequate and sometimes put blame on individuals for not thinking positively enough instead of underlying systemic dysfunctions. The problem with this power of positive thinking is that it doesn't leave the necessary room for addressing the not-so-positive. This year, this came into stark relief. After three years in the pandemic, our family celebrated Chinese New Year's Eve reunion dinner inside my parents' home for the first time in three years. and It was great. It was amazing. There was so much joy in picking up all the customs again as we filled the space with blessings and good fortune. But then I saw the news. A mass shooting killing 11 people celebrating the Lunar New Year in Monterey Park. I don't know when everyone else found out because we couldn't talk about it. It was New Year's Eve, and we could only talk about positive news and positive things. So, alone in my thoughts, the juxtaposition was jarring. Here we were, doing these auspicious things, saying these auspicious things, when the most unimaginably horrific and inauspicious things were happening not so far away to people just like us, Celebrating at the very same time, the very same thing we were. And there's nothing we could even say? How are we supposed to grieve and celebrate at the same time? That's the question I saw echo around my social media channels. How are we supposed to grieve and celebrate at the same time? Those blessings, they took on a painful tenor that evening. All these positive phrases, all these lucky words, all these auspicious symbols, they weren't good enough. They don't make sense in moments like this. We're saying, congratulations. In this moment, congratulations on what? To what? What are we doing when we are saying these things? This question was laying heavily on my heart when I was doing a bit of research on this popular Chinese New Year song that goes, Gong Si Gong Si Gong Si Ni, Ya Gong Si Gong Si Gong Si si Ni. This is sort of the jingle bells of Chinese New Year, so it's ubiquitous. Everywhere you go in the most garish, poppy renditions with loud, synthetic tracks, clanging cymbals, children's laughter. If there's a scale in on 1 to 10 on relentless positivity, this would be an 11. Gong si gong, si gong si ni, ah. Gong si gong, si gong si ni. So I was looking into different versions of this song, when I stumbled on an early recording from the 1940s. And it was remarkably different. It was simple, plain, unadorned, even a hint of somberness. Gong si gong, si gong si ni. Gong si gong, si gong si ni. Apparently, the popular songwriter, Chen Xin had been jailed during World War II for his music, and he had written this song to commemorate the end of the year. Gong si gong, si gong si ni. And in that melody, I could imagine what Chen Xin was seeing as he wrote it. World War II had just happened, Eight years of invasion, four million Chinese troops dead, 10 million civilians dead from violence, five million more dead from famine, a country exhausted, shattered, broken. And amidst that wasteland of destruction, Gong, si, gong, si, gong, si, ni. Spring would be coming. Amidst the ashes, amidst the tears, amidst the horrible loss and trauma, a will to hope. What Chen found in that song was more than the power of positive thinking. It was a will to hope, not in the ignorance of suffering, not in the dismissal of suffering, but in the midst of suffering, in the face of suffering. Gong si gong, si gong si ni, This year, Lunar New Year, happened about as early as it can get. So it's still full-on winter, still chilly outside, still cold for the most part. And it's winter for the Asian-American community, a long winter of pain in our families and communities that forced desperate migration from imperialized ancestral homes. A long winter of anti-Asian violence and cruelty in this country that leave our community in fear and resolve. A long winter of Asian invisibility and erasure as the perpetual other, or the stereotypical props in other people's stories. A long winter of exclusion, of minimization, of loss, grief, Hurting. In the chill of this winter, we choose to say these blessings, not in the ignorance of suffering, but in the face of it. On this Lunar New Year, when I say, I congratulate you on your strength. I congratulate you on your survival. I congratulate you on taking care of yourself, on making the best of wherever you are, on caring for those closest to you. When I say xi ni, I congratulate you on your willingness to carry on. I congratulate you on your showing up. I congratulate you on your turn to community and your solidarity with those suffering everywhere. When I say Gong si ni, I congratulate you on your fight for justice in the face of injustice. I congratulate you on your perseverance for truth in the face of forgetting. I congratulate you on your determination for recognition in the face of invisibility. I congratulate you on your pursuit of true peace in the face of violence. Out of this winter, I congratulate you on a new spring, a better spring, a fairer and more beautiful spring, where the bamboo reports peace and true security, where the flowers open to true abundance. Congratulations to you as we bring that spring into existence. ni. And amen.
1: It's good to be with you on this Sunday morning, which is the 15th and last day of the Lunar New Year celebration. The 15th day of the Lunar New Year is the first full moon as well as the Lantern Festival. And as I mentioned before, It's the year of the rabbit. You may assume that I've been observing these customs since I was a small child, but that is not the case. When my immigrant parents came to the U.S. and began raising me, they decided to completely assimilate, to become American, which meant European. At that time, the borders to China were slammed shut due to Mao's cultural revolution. Letters and phone calls were strictly forbidden. I can only imagine the stress and heartbreak it caused my mom and dad not to know of the welfare of their parents, siblings, and families as huge political changes occurred because they never shared their worries with me. I think they felt they would never be able to return home again. The result was to adopt the United States as their permanent home and culture, which meant abandoning their customs, like Chinese New Year, and choosing not to bring me up speaking Chinese. Plus, they were fortunate to be fluent in English. They didn't want me to be seen as lesser than or having an accent. Yet there were problems with this. My mother didn't know how to celebrate American holidays. For example, she hadn't learned significance of having a Christmas tree, or why gifts for children were important. And who was Santa Claus anyways? And why was it important to be with family on Thanksgiving? As a result, I grew up culture-less. I learned about Lunar New Year through being in Asian American Studies at UC Davis, working as a teacher in San Francisco, reading, and of course, Google. These days, I've learned to observe both American as well as Chinese customs. I think it's vitally important to pass the non-mainstream cultural practices down to the next generation so they have an understanding of their identities in their Asian American cultures and grow up proudly multicultural. There has been a tragic and traumatic beginning to the Lunar New Year. Often the two events of Lunar New Year and Black History Month seem to bump up against each other. The mass shootings in Monterey Park and Half Moon Bay and the horrific beating death of Tyree Nichols have occurred in close proximity to each other. As a member of the AAPI community, I believe this calls us to build bridges between our groups. Rather than separating these incidents, let's work together to find commonalities. Perhaps the mental health of these men, two older Asian male shooters, and the officers in Memphis is at issue here. I certainly think that they have been influenced by the model minority myth, Asian patriarchal culture, and internalized toxic white male supremacy. In my opinion, they all need therapeutic help to break these destructive cycles. I pray that they are able to face the family members of those they harmed and take responsibility for their brutality. As we listen to this next hymn, I Know I've Been Changed, I suggest that we consider something that we can do today to build a bridge to create strong, supportive communities and break these devastating cycles. Thank you.